All right, all right, all right. This is Patrick Higgins um, with Back to Birding. And this is Luke Thompson. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, uh, I hope everyone's been doing well during this um, very frigid weather we've had. Well, not frigid currently. It's like 60 out there, but... Thank goodness. It's about a 60-degree change. Yeah. (laughs) Man, it, it got so cold for a solid two, two and a half weeks. Man. It but was it was crazy. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. I sure is. We uh we are gonna be talking about how uh cold fronts and um polar vortexes can impact these bird species that we love so much. And and the birding that comes up from it. Yep. You know? The very um exciting birding. Yeah. Not not too many people are very excited um, whenever the weather drops down to zero, but birders sometimes are for sure. Yeah, Stoke was pretty high when I saw that a cold front like that was coming in. Yep, yep. Well, um, I guess we can start with some birding that we've done recently. Did you do anything in the past day or two? Um, I attempted last night to go to go watch the goals fly in oh, to yeah. to roost on booker t we'll be talking about that i'm mm-hmm. sure um but I, I completely and utterly failed because it was just fog and yeah. i haven't i haven't gotten out today i think we're gonna get out after the podcast though trying <laughs> try and see looking out the window right now it is only white <laughs> yeah i don't like our chances of goals yeah we might just find a horn lark there's a mountain back there somewhere but there there are two mountains <laughs> back there somewhere and a river can't really see the river yeah. at all it is a uh, not ideal weather in chattanooga today but um yeah i i guess yesterday was the first birding i've done since the uh, warmer weather kind of came back a little bit and i had a bunch of fun i was i had a good time um went over to brainerd levy which we've talked about here on the podcast and I uh, spent a couple hours there looking for waterfowl mostly, and um, I had good numbers. I, I was pretty stoked about it, and I had, I had about 200 overall. Um, had like a, over 100 ringnecks, which is pretty good because it's a pretty small body of water in yeah. comparison. But Yeah, and I think that's a new high count for the levy of ringnecks. And uh, I'm sure, yeah. The levy yeah. has a, a bunch of historical data, and it's it's one of the most... It might have the most checklists of any location in the county mm. or one of one of the locations with the most checklists. So I did see that its species count is now equal with Baylor. With the spotted tohi, yeah. <laughs> yep. But so but um so formerly Baylor was third in species total, right? Mm-hmm. Now now it's up to second. Uh <laughs> because he's getting giddy everyone (laughs) yeah yeah i'm stoked uh there's not a chance that i'm gonna catch first i think i had a dream that i found a first for chester frost and it was like really sad um so i'm never birding chester again that's so backwards uh (laughs) my goodness but um because Baylor has so few checklists compared to the levy, it's it's ranked as second instead of just a tie at second. Oh, really? Yeah. Or I presume that's why it's ranked hmm. at second if you look at the eBird totals. Well, good for you. Good for you. Now we just <laughs> need to... So someone just reported as of like two minutes ago, Horned Lark um, on 
a random field mm-hmm. and you know what place has random fields <laughs> baylor <laughs> baylor has random fields so yeah we're gonna go find a, a horn lark i decided uh on campus <laughs> yeah i uh i was hoping for a snow bunting over at brainerd um a lot of exposed gravel all the way down there and yeah um, i had a lot of uh, sparrows and other little guys feeding on it so i was like really hoping but um don't know if this is ideal time but with the cold front uh you know yeah who knows really what i've been thinking is lapland longspur mm. uh that yeah. should that for, for those that don't know horned lark and lapland longspur are pretty common in west tennessee but down at in southern tennessee and especially east tennessee both of those species like are rare. Honestly. We are in the worst spot in the entire state for both of those species. <laughs> I, I would not doubt it. Uh, they both of those species love open fields, um, and inter- farmland. Yeah, um, is typically where you'll find those kind of guys. And you, not really just like tall grass fields. If yeah, we're being we don't specific. have yeah. that much great type of habitat for them. Mm-hmm. And there's, we're sort of surrounded by mountains in all directions, which apparently, even though they're not big mountains, seems to be a barrier because I think Hornlark actually breeds literally one mountain over. Um, <laughs> like, I can drive 15, 20 minutes from my house to the west or like northwest, and I live on I live on one of these ridges, and I could get Hornlark pretty reliably. But if I drive the same direction or or the opposite direction for the same amount of time, so that would put me at Baylor. Mm-hmm. I've birded the crap out of Baylor for several years now, and I've never had a horned lark. Yeah. Which is... I mean, we know the geography of Hamilton County does, like, impact the birding for sure. Like, 1,000%. I mean, it's one of the better counties in the state for birding. Um, I wonder... So... I think the reason that it has such a high species total is not just geography. I think it's the combination of having, uh, it does have a wide variety of habitats because of the river and some geography that leads to that. Mm-hmm. But I think a big part of it is just birders. Uh, yeah. There are a lot of birders here. I mean, just using birding app within like a 30 kilometer radius or something like mm-hmm. that, there's 35 uh, right now. And, you know, that probably means that there's about anywhere from 50 to 100 people that are out in the field decently regularly, which... I mean, that's definitely a major factor and something that I think as birding increases in popularity, like more stuff is going to be showing up because it's there's more eyes. Yeah, and I think that's really why Hamilton County has such a high species total. That makes sense. More than, say, I mean, yes, we do have decent habitat compared to a lot of the places with cities i mean that would make sense also for like shelby county which is memphis why they have such an incredible species total and like it's basically the same thing and jeff wilson yeah well of course the incredible jeff wilson yeah so jeff wilson was this legendary tennessee birder who died in the past 10 or 15 yeah, years, I guess. 2013, yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he, he found everything. Yeah. He's known as, like, the father of Tennessee birding um, by most folks here. And um, that's just because he was incredible and 
the number of state first with his name attached are just it's ludicrous like, unreal but yeah memphis is obviously an urbanized area and lots of people there and there's just a crap ton of species but also because of the geography so it's like a similar situation probably yeah and it's on the mississippi river it has a lot of habitat and that Mm -hmm. really that combination has i think has put it at the top yeah you have something like lake county which doesn't even have a checklist every day um (laughs) which is insanity because that is lake and humphreys county both of them don't have very many checklists per day Mm -hmm. um and those are probably would be the top two. Yeah. Um, Lake County is. I'm sure both of those counties are like up there in the top five at least. So um, well, Lake County is even, number two, even despite the lack of birding. So yeah. So that's what I say. Like Lake County might end up just becoming number mm-hmm. number one if there were was better coverage because. Yeah. And Lake County is where Real Foot Lake is, and um, in the northwest corner of the state. And it's got the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. so lots of migration and, and lots of pretty amazing birds end up showing up there. Yeah. And M- most recently, well, I don't know most recently, but the, uh, the first flamingo that Tennessee had was, uh, there a few years ago. It's that, had, that was before the explosion. So that was, um, a remarkable bird, but, and then they've had, I mean, just a bunch of insane records. Mm-hmm. I mean, rough is an annual species in that county. Um, and Caracara has happened there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, way too many to name. Yeah, <laughs> we, we can't even we can't even scratch the surface <laughs> no. of of Lake County birding. But yeah. it's and same for Humphreys that you did just mention. It the geography helps it. It's um, sitting there right at. Uh, the Duck River area, which is... Um, I, In my personal opinion, um, sort of stealing Victor and Ruben Stoll's opinion here, uh, the single best hot spot in the state or burning location in the state, I would say, is the Duck River unit of the Tennessee National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, I would second that. Um, it's just, if you go out there for a day or a week, you'll probably come out with the same opinion because it's just man the volume of birds um is just almost incomparable to another spot in tennessee so it's just tremendous and and um, it's underbirded like uh, significantly yeah and it's it's in a very rural area honestly um yeah so, so it doesn't get birded frequently and the people who bird it the most are the stoles mm-hmm. and that hot spot has somewhere and i think it's 306 species unless something has been added recently so yeah i don't know um, it's, i think the what was arctic turn the last major thing there uh little goal i think was the last edition really i believe i could be wrong yeah, Ruben and Victor Stoll and Alan Troyer, um, that's their stomping grounds out there. Um, yeah. So we can thank them for many of the incredible records that come from there. Like a June ruff. Ruff is this Asian species <laughs> yeah. of shorebird um, that, and shorebirds, for non birders and beginners out there, they are a group of birds that love to just poke in the mud. Uh, a lot of them breed on Arctic tundra or in, in ponds, typically yeah. wetland species. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
and there's a little bit of variation in habitat there, but um, they pretty much just like some shallow water, whether that be in grass or um, or a marsh. So for shorebirds specifically, the the I've done I've read a decent amount of papers on this. The habitat preference is typically less than twenty five percent vegetation cover that can vary with species. There's some yeah. species like Wilson snipe that totally prefer vegetation color cover, yeah. but the majority yeah. prefer less than 25% vegetation cover. Well, and, and some species that are even pretty closely related, like for instance, long build versus short build dowager, um, how some prefer, um, more inland areas and some prefer more yeah. coastal areas. So, yeah. Um, but it, it is a typical, there is like, they'll have different m- like micro habitats or, mm-hmm. or niches that they're choosing within the broad habitat of generally a mud flat. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, for sure. so somewhere, you know, some might be poking in something super deep and like foraging with longer bills yeah. poking into the mud. Whereas something like a plover will be on the drier stuff running around looking for stuff that it can yeah. pick off the surface. And that, that's just so fascinating to me. Uh, I love to uh, study those guys because you have the, the fallow ropes that'll swim around in the water and pick stuff off the surface. And then you have stilts that put their, um, stilt sandpipers, I should say, that put their entire heads under the water when they feed. And then you have ready turnstones, which like super rocky areas. And it's, yeah. it's interesting to see those little niches and how they affect the abundance and um regular occurrence of those different species but all of those are in the same realm of shorebird which is kind of a a catch-all term in a way if you look at the the taxonomy they're all in the order corrigiforms but there's i can't god now i can't even remember exactly what's in between but you think of like a plover um and sandpiper you call that a shorebird but there's actually taxonomically, yeah, there's a group of birds in between that, uh, between plovers and sandpipers. So they're not like mm-hmm. directly closely related yeah. to each other. But And yeah, just in the the realm of corrigiforms, that is kind of similar to see the uh, the different niches occupied by those different species. But yeah. Um, anyways. That was a tangent. Yeah, that, uh, quite that. But, what were we talking about? You know, um, cold cold front birding? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're talking about um, that Brainerd Levy, I guess, was where we kind of left off. But, yeah, I had a, definitely more waterfowl than I've ever had on a solo checklist, so that was pretty neat. Yeah. Um, there has been – that has been a trend is waterfowl. So – the with the cold front and that's that's solely because of the the cold front really is why um, waterfowl have been showing up in in good numbers when stuff ices up farther north waterfowl push push Mm -hmm. south and so you know it's been a warm winter so far so a lot of waterfowl hasn't moved south and then once it freezes over you know i could see that on baylor lake as soon as I, I, I was able to get down here, I wasn't able to drive for a couple of days just because my road was completely ice. Yeah. But as soon as I was able to get down to Baylor Lake, it was, I mean, mallard n- numbers had doubled, um, more geese, and then black ducks, um, hood and mergansers. I mean, it went from 
I would usually get be getting like two species of duck on a checklist to I got I was getting seven or eight mm-hmm. every time. Yeah, and, and that actually that same concept transfers over to um more terrestrial birds, I guess you would call it. Um when the ground freezes and they can't feed on um seeds or insects that would be out normally, they also will push down. So in the same way if the water freezes um, whenever the ground freezes, a lot of um, finches and similar species will. Sparrows and um, what the ground freezing, presumably, and snow cover, stuff like that, mm-hmm. creates a really interesting phenomenon where you can, like you're driving along roads and there are just hordes of birds <laughs> on the roadsides just because yeah. that's the area where it might be no snow cover or less snow cover and in the sun so basically any sunny relatively open patch of ground is just covered in birds and one species specifically that i would highlight with that is fox sparrow that's a that's a bird that's not particularly easy outside of an area where it's snowing it's like you can get them right but Mm -hmm. they're not abundant they're not easy as soon as it snows it's like, where did all of these come from? Because <laughs> Tim and I had like, I don't even know, like 40 or something on our, on our day. Goodness gracious. Um, and I mean, Tim had a flock of 36 just in one location in Marion <laughs> County, which is one County to the West of us. Wow. And these are, these are big sparrows almost. I would like, I guess, um, they're somewhere in between the size of say like a white throated sparrow and, and a towhee. Um, yeah. And, and I, we did talk about them actually last episode and uh, they have a pretty neat gradient in their um, phenotypes from the east to west of their yeah natural range. We have the prettiest ones, the red ones. I, I agree. I think we have the prettiest um, song sparrows as well. We uh, don't have the gnarliest song sparrows though, <laughs> so we're, we're losing. Uh the, the Aleutian Island song sparrows yeah. are like twice the size of ours. And Those SoCal song sparrows have a beak bigger than their head. <laughs> or or is, that, is that fox sparrow? Uh, I, yeah, I could be wrong. I think it's yeah, fox sparrow. Fox the sparrow. thick-billed fox sparrow has the... <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, it's fun. That's a gross beak right there. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's just so many sparrows pushing, pushing out to the road yeah. uh, sides, and it's it's pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something you can notice um, casually. Like if you're just, I don't know, I've, the most I've ever noticed that is um, in western portions of the state and in Kentucky um, when driving down, you know, back roads in farmland, that's where the majority of the long spurs and pippets um, will hang out. So that's, that's definitely easy to catch on to even if you're not an avid birder but yeah and i i mean i'm even like the when it snows just seeing all the sparrows come out i've i've had people talk to me about that that are not birders at all just noticing that there's so many more birds like out and available to see on the ground i mean i had the best experience with spotted tohi the spotted tohi on campus that i have still still hanging out still hanging out Uh, but i got to see it for 30 seconds sitting out in the open that's awesome in beautiful sunlight with the beast of the scope that's being lent to me by tim lens very cool very 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 cool yeah i'm i'm really happy that that bird is sticking around um that's 
is that not a county first? That's a county first. It's yeah. in East Tennessee first. Really? First east of Nashville, as far as I know. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah, super exciting. I'm, I'm glad I was able to to have uh, Luke Thompson private tours on <laughs> as my guide for that. <laughs> yeah, I should have been like, give me 30 bucks. Yeah. No. Uh, charge at the gate. <laughs> you, you couldn't you could have made a dollar by now for sure <laughs> I, I mean i could have people would have come out but i would have felt like a horrible person if i was like listen yeah there's this rare bird that i didn't even find yeah <laughs> if you give me 10 bucks <laughs> yeah that's funny because then i would have to do it for my friends too you know to keep people from being angry yeah just put an age cap on it if you are over it, the age of 18 or a yeah. salary cap yeah <laughs> if you make more than x dollars an hour a year a year well yeah a year <laughs> you have to pay anyways <laughs> this that next rare bird that yeah. shows up on campus that's gonna yeah definitely <laughs> that's one if way if you're to a student uh at any institution you don't have to pay yeah that might encourage um people sneaking onto campus but yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna do that by any means. <laughs> That's funny, but yeah, I guess we can actually get to talking about the cold front stuff a little bit more. Um, what kind of birding did you do, and did you have any good luck? Yeah, so I mean, the the initial birding that I did was uh, on campus, and well, the first thing I that I noticed is. Baylor Lake was almost completely frozen over. So Baylor Lake is a slough where two creeks are going into the Tennessee River. And uh, it was completely frozen over almost. Like, it was it was pretty crazy. There was a couple pockets of open water that were just packed full with waterfowl. Mm-hmm. So I had mallard, like uh, good numbers of mallard. And then I hadn't had a black duck this year. And I had black duck, uh, hooded merganser. And then green wing teal, I think on the first day was sort of was happening. And then walking around that, that was when I, on the first day um, that I went out in the cold was the day that I got the uh, spotted towhee out in the open. But I also got just a bunch of sparrows on the ground. I got a good footage of fox sparrow um, just hopping around feeding. So that's, that's great. Did you also get frostbite? Was that <laughs> my toes were quite cold when I was so what happened with the the tohi is I scanned with the scope and I it wasn't down in the cut and I was like I'm just gonna walk through and see if I don't see anything tree sparrow was kind of on the mind mm. um I want one here so bad <laughs> goodness and I didn't see the bird so I was like I'm just gonna leave the scope here on the trail and walk walk through and then i saw the bird flush up and i was like okay it's still here i didn't sort of wait for it i went in i just walked into the forest mm-hmm. um which was you know completely dead but it was it was really sick honestly just to see an area of campus i've been on so so many times covered in snow yeah um and walked back and then lo and behold the tohi was just sitting up just <laughs> there for like a minute and a half Man. and the scope was like a hundred plus meters away and I would flush the bird if I walked to it. So I looked at it in the binoculars and I was pretty stoked on it. But then I, I, I walked back and, um, grabbed the scope and then I was sitting and the sun was sort of starting to come down. Um, 
or I was I was getting close to that time. So I was in I was most of the shadows were pretty long, and I was in in the shadow, <laughs> uh, and cold, yeah. cold. And I was just sitting and waiting, and it, it wasn't popping up. And then I heard a little bit of movement. I was or saw a little bit of movement right where the bird had dropped down. And I, I used my newfound skill of whistling, uh, <laughs> and I, I like I literally just whistled like some bird call. I can't even remember what it was, and it popped up, and it sat up for thirty seconds, and I got to watch it in the scope. It was insane. Yeah, I I, uh, I got about as good of a picture as you typically do of that bird whenever I saw hey, that. Hey, I'm a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> I texted him recently and said, yeah. Uh, He's inspiring me with his uh, incredible photography skills. <laughs> they are increasing by a pixel per picture um, <laughs> at this rate. So uh, um, I don't know. <laughs> I had I had some decent like pictures and videos of stuff. Uh, you know. Oh this. yeah. The uh, now that you're using Tim's scope, you you actually did have a a great video of those um, those teal on ice. That was really cool. Yeah. But then yesterday I sent you a picture of what I, I assure you it was a Pacific loon, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was just a um, black dot on what looked like water, but I couldn't actually make it out. Yeah, it, it was it was <laughs> it was rough. I don't have a camera, so I, I do the best I can with my iPhone, my horribly cracked iPhone Seven, and whatever <laughs> optics I have at the time. Oh my gosh, it's. Yeah. It's speaking of pictures, I um forgot to send you a picture of um a Jesus pippet that I saw at Brainerd Levy. What yesterday. is a Jesus pippet? Um a pippet walking on water, but it it was on ice. <laughs> I so that's so that was another thing that I didn't mention with Baylor is Baylor never gets pippets. Uh yeah. Like uh, almost Almost never gets pippets. I'll get I get a flyover every couple of weeks during the winter, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I, I had a pippet whenever you showed me the black ducks. Yeah, well, you know <laughs> why? Why? Because there was an stupid amount of pippets. Like I I had um, hell, the flock could still be here. I haven't checked since like a day or two ago yeah. um, when it was still here. But there was a flock of uh, something in the range of it, it was varying between anywhere from uh, 45 to 75 birds on one of the fields here, which n- rarely ever happens. Only second time I've ever had pippets on the ground uh, at camp- on campus. And they would be like out on the ice on Baylor Lake too uh, and failing to walk. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, they uh, they walk a little bit chicken-esque. Um, so I think their intense head movement kind of makes them fall over sometimes, but it was it was silly to watch. Yeah. And, and even watching the um, some of the waterfowl come to land, it's like it's almost like they couldn't tell what was water and what was ice because some of them would land in the water and the other ones would just hit the ice and slide for <laughs> ten ten meters. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember seeing some some mallards really struggling to walk on the ice. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of funny. You just you feel like these animals that are always outside would just inherently be good at doing stuff outside, but. Uh, when it comes to ice it seems that um, everything struggles <laughs> yeah it's kind of funny but you know yeah i i, I birded baylor for a couple of days i had the big group of pippets including um one that had like white on the head and the wings it was like a crazy looking thing uh like, 
partially albino, whatever the proper term is. I don't know, but oh yeah, you did show that to me or told me about it. I mean, I, I think I may have sent you a picture that was like maybe half a pixel. <laughs> uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised. But. And I mean, I couldn't get good footage of it even with the scope because it was through a fence and it was really finicky with mm. the focusing on the through the camera. Um, but it it was really sick to see see that. I've never seen a pipit like that before, and I've seen thousands of pipits. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, pipits are these like small kind of sparrow sized ground birds with a thin bill and they they're like brown on top and kind of streaky and buffy below you know yeah. they they like open ground and they breed on like tundra habitat whether that be arctic tundra or alpine tundra and, and then this they, is american pipit american pipit yeah. yeah we only have one regularly occurring species of pipit at least in this part of the country mm. up in alaska you get red-throated pipit pretty pretty regularly um on those islands and that'll oh, come yeah. down the pacific coast occasionally but, yeah um i think it's annual on the pacific and coast then, i don't know anything about sprogs but oh sprogs yeah i think we do um Tennessee has state records. The last one, yeah. 2022, I believe. Oh, really? I didn't yeah. know it was that recent. Yeah. Um, it's probably a bird that a couple winter in the state every year. It's just not found because it's yeah. some remote field. Yeah. And but that's I a, think typically those are flyovers. Yeah. That's a prairie breeding species. It's a very central species. And, you know, they winter, again, sort of Texas and um, sort of the central area of the country. And mm-hmm. then they breed farther north than that. So... Um, yeah, but American pipit, they breed on, on Arctic and Alpine tundra. So I've seen them breeding on the tops of mountains in Colorado, uh, I think Wyoming and, um, in Alberta and British Columbia at the tops of mountains. Wow. So, and then they, and they migrate down to mud flats and open fields. And apparently if it's icy in, in <laughs> Chattanooga, Tennessee, the middle of a forest. I saw one. <laughs> what? So pipits are always on fields. Yeah. And mud flats. Flat, flat ground. Flat open ground. So, but with the ice, so many got pushed down, I guess. Um, and <laughs> did you not? There was a pipit like walking on the edge of the road at Chester Frost, which is like kind of near habitat. I mean, there was like only like. 50 feet of trees between it and normal pipit habitat yeah but like it was walking on the side of the road in the forest and then it like flushed and it was like even farther from normal pipit habitat (laughs) in like underbrush and i was like what am i looking at it was was crazy what in the world yeah that's cool yeah but yeah we've uh we've had a good push of waterfowl um here in the past week i don't I haven't really been keeping up with too much of the rest of the state, but um, I just got, thanks to Tim Lynn's um, lifer white wing scoter. Oh, that was a lifer for you? Yeah. Congratulations. And, um, surf scoter was with those as well, and both of those were state birds. Um, so I have swept the scoters in the state now. So have you swept them for county? Um, no, I don't have black here. Ooh. Um, so interested but that was uh, white winged was the last one i needed for life so I'm, I'm stoked about that um really exciting and there were eight of them so that was pretty eight cool white winged one surf yeah yeah um and i almost died on 
on my way to seeing them because <laughs> the the trail was completely iced over. Yeah, I I fell and ate crap while I was walking down there. <laughs> yeah. Later, so. I, I was uh I was in my clothes for class, and I was attempting to run because I was going to be late to class. Oh, and, you idiot! Yeah, I mean I almost ate it so many times just catching myself i uh at one point i sat on my heels and just slid on my feet down the trail uh navigating with my hands yeah but it it was worth it got the got both of those um scoters state birds and a lifer so yeah very exciting but yeah um, yeah (laughs) i haven't totally been keeping up with the rest of the state i know there's at least two long-tailed ducks here. Um, there's been a regularly occurring one in um, Shelby County in Memphis, and it's actually a different one than the one that was in that was there over December. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, but I'm hoping for one of those. That's definitely yeah. something I'm really hoping for before the end of um, this winter. Yeah. So these ducks we're talking about, by the way, um, scoters and long-tailed duck, these are all sort of what you would call sea ducks. Mm -hmm. Um, I think all of them breed in in tundra-type habitat. could be completely wrong about that, though. So (laughs) feel free to correct me and be like, wow, you are stupid. Uh, But um, And then they winter to typically pretty massive expanses of open water, mostly the ocean, um, Mm -hmm. but also Great Lakes. has a lot of scoters and then with icing events they push south i mean yeah and they are annual um all three species and just long-tailed inland duck. yeah and yeah long-tailed duck is considered a sea duck as well so it's still very cool to see um yeah and out of out of pure pure laziness that that surf scoter was i, I saw it later in the day looking for goals and that surf scooter was my county bird, which is incredible because <laughs> I've been birding here for a long time. I just don't chase stuff that yeah. much. Um, what's painful is actually I, I saw what was almost certainly a surf scooter, but I was with one of my friends and she had to go to work. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. And I had a black scooter on one side of this raft and then there was another scooter on the other side and I couldn't identify it because uh, she had to go to work and I had to <laughs> like Jeez. take her to work and then, yeah. That's, that's that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, and that was that was during my county big year too. So that would have been oh man, that would have been even dang wow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the uh, in, in the past day or two, there's been a push of swans um, down here. We have what appear to be wild mute swans, and um, then there's and tundra, and potentially, I haven't actually seen a. Tr- a report for a trumpeter. I haven't seen a report for trumpeter. I know there was 11 tundra swans out um, at Duck River Unit, and then there was one in Davidson County. I'd bet mm. there's probably a, a, a tundra up in the Hiawassee area. Yeah, or, or Saudi Lake area, probably. Or on Baylor's campus right now. I haven't checked <laughs> Baylor Lake. Uh, Baylor Lake is in that direction, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, well. And, and those are similar um with the cold front big push of swans is typical um but mute swans are getting increasingly harder now that i guess 
AOS determined that most are not countable. Um, but we do have some wild ones that make it down here sometimes. But I don't have a wild one for the state. But yeah, yeah, well, what I was saying with the scoters a little bit ago, I was going there for goals, and that's another thing that the cold front really, yeah, really impacted is huge pushes of goal numbers. And I know you had some some cool experience with that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, I guess last Friday, I um I had seen reports of two Iceland. Thayers and Kumlins, which I was stoked about, both subspecies, and two Glaucus, potentially three Glaucus, at um, the Benton County landfill. And so all of these are are northern species of gulls that are paler than our normal, regularly occurring species. Yeah, Um, especially Glaucus. That that guy gets stark white um, in some plumage. So very neat. And both of those... We're going to be lifers, um, and obviously state birds. And I had a free weekend, and it was in the heart of the cold snap. So um, it was eight degrees whenever I was looking for those birds. Yeah. So he drove three and a half hours. He 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 grabbed a scope from <laughs> four. It well, was, seven seven in the day. Three and a half hours out. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was. Um, so. I tried to get up there and then stay the night at the landfill, but my car was a little unhappy with the um, level of cold. (laughs) So I decided to stop in Nashville, and it took two and a half hours to get there. Did you just sleep in the car in Nashville? Uh, No, my my sister lives in Smyrna, so I stayed with her luckily. Got a um, bed instead of a car. Yeah, definitely nice. But I got up early and then did three and a half hours the rest of the way. So it was actually six hours there and then ended up being like six and a half, seven on the way back. (laughs) Just because of the cold? Yeah, just because I was driving under the speed limit the whole time. Because of ice and snow. Yeah, well, the uh, interstate systems and the highways had no ice on them, but... As soon as you got off of those into a side road or a neighborhood or any kind of back road, it was just a solid block of ice. And luckily, to get to the landfill was pretty tame. I didn't have to deal with anything dangerous. Um, And once I got there, I was able to find the Glockis pretty much right away. Um, both of them, they are the second largest goal in the world. So they were and like very white. Yeah. So they're yeah, easy they, to find. Exactly. They were towering over everything, and um, I have a, a very neatly bicolored bill, which was pretty. Um, but to find the Iceland was a little bit harder, especially the Thayers, because that one can look nearly identical to a herring, um, as a first year i think um yeah um i'm of the opinion opinion this is probably a hot hot uh, hot take but i think i think most goals there should be some lumping going on in in the the loris yeah. genus because like instead of splitting or what 
like lumping straight from what they are right now because if you look at it oh really there is so much hybridization going on yeah that it just doesn't make sense in my mind to keep them as separate species but also that also begs the question what is a species (laughs) yeah uh i know we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes with specifically gulls but we've had so much experience with them um in the past two weeks that it's refreshed on our minds but um it's interesting though because so many gull species are able to reproduce uh, with viable offspring and whenever that happens that like checks a major box that they're the same species um but as adults individually these birds can look completely different so it's 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 so interesting and um it's all it's not there's no clear-cut line we just use the information that we can observe and um, test right now to come up with a our best idea of what the truth is about these about these birds but i know specifically on the west coast you probably have the most um interbreeding between these species so the biggest thing out west is what they call Olympic gulls. That's Western X glaucus winged gull. Mm-hmm. And then there's also um, Cook Inlet gull, which yeah. is Herring X glaucus winged. And then there's every imaginable yeah. combination of anything. And, and we do have some um, on the East Coast over here. I think Appledore's <laughs> is um, Herring and Lesser Blackback. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, Kelp gull will, which, you know, showed up in, in Louisiana for a while. Now there's a, a little small hybrid swarm over there of kelp and, and herring gull. In Louisiana? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, Holy I don't cow. think there's, like, pure kelps anymore. They're not seen. Um, but there's, like, I've seen checklists with, like, ten hybrids. Really? Well, so I, I was talking to... I know to that one in South Texas was pure. A pure. Yeah. Wow, I've I've not heard that before. Yeah, wow. so uh, I was talking with uh, my friend David Holly about this, and he thinks that he he thinks that herring gull doesn't isn't a thing because <laughs> you look at like that, Iceland gull, yeah. and then it'll breed with anything. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I I leaned more towards David's opinion on all of this. Yeah, I I don't know. I feel like to have an opinion at all is a little premature. <laughs> in my opinion mm-hmm. i just i feel like we um, in your opinion yeah in my opinion you shouldn't have an opinion <laughs> um <laughs> that in itself yeah. is opinion yeah it's an oxymoron but um i don't know it we're using our best guesses on all this and that's all science really is is just um trying to understand the different phenomena and um, things we're observing and trying to make sense of it all. Isn't that just what life is? Yeah. You know, I recently learned that, well, not really learned. I guess I, I hadn't thought about it as much. I've been talking about perception in, uh, in one of my history classes here. Our lives are a lie, essentially, you know. <laughs> Jeez, where are you about to go with this? <laughs> Well, we're just processing a small bit of what, like, the raw data of the world, and that's what pre- mm. we perceive. So, yeah. and then, like, different things make us perceive, like, like our genetics and stuff like that makes us perceive 
things differently and our experiences in life make us perceive things differently. So everything that we're witnessing is relatively subjective. Um, well, and we also know that um, electrons function differently based on whether they are being perceived or not. So, um, Really? Isn't that something? Yeah. <laughs> There's a little quantum physics for you, but <laughs> we can get back into back to back birding. Back to birding, yep. yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, with with these goals, it's, it's really um, fascinating and... It, it causes major um, discussion about identification, um, just especially this time of year and um, with vagrants. So we, uh, I did end up getting both subspecies of Iceland and um, those two glaucus. So I was really stoked about that, and the drive was worth it. Um, but... We're also seeing those two species across uh, the state in different places. And Speaking um, of tonight, we're going to get them. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to perceive them, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so Booker T. Washington State Park has a view of, well, sometimes has a good view, sometimes doesn't, because it's very, yeah. f- it fluctuates a lot where, where these birds go, but there's a massive flock of roosting gulls um that come in to roost and i think i I had over ten thousand, nearly eleven thousand birds conservatively estimated um three or four days ago and then the day after i had twelve thousand five hundred yeah the majority of those being ring build um every single bird except for like (laughs) in the weight range of 25 to like 40 herring gulls and uh four lesser blackbacks yeah so it's kind of interesting with, um, I don't know. I feel like you do notice patterns in, uh, vagrants, um, of these bigger Lars gulls following the herrings, um, rather than the ring bills. Um, so I know that in West Tennessee at that landfill, there was huge numbers of herring and even lesser blackback. And then you give, you get numbers of the other rare stuff. Um, but whenever you do have so many ring build, it seems like there might be a little less association with the yeah, other stuff. Yeah. I mean, but the thing is we are getting decent numbers of herring gulls, which is what gives me hope that yeah. there is. Yeah. I mean, 25 is definitely higher than normal for here. Yeah. Um, but I mean, and I think 25 is low. We have put no effort into mm-hmm. it, the count. Yeah, as soon as we get up around the 100 range, I'm I'm stoked to see what happens. But I don't know um, if that's ever happened in <laughs> Hamilton County. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But I know that ring build count was county high. Um, Times three. Yeah, yeah, so that's that's exciting for sure. And Lesser blackback high count previously in the county was one, and we had at least four birds. Wow. So. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, so exciting goals um, in and around the area right now. Yeah. So, And I think, well, even beyond, you know, looking at the rarity part of it, what seeing that many birds fly to roost is like truly a natural spectacle, oh, I would yeah. say. Cause, Absolutely. I mean, you're seeing like 50 plus birds fly by a second through your scope view and like the whole other bank of the river is just covered in birds and it's like it's it's really insane and like it was so cool that first night like the sun was setting 
over the water and reflecting off of it. And then you just have these just gobs of um, <laughs> ring-billed gulls coming in as yeah. like over these like pastel pink and orange waters. And there's just thousands and thousands of birds pouring into this one spot yeah, with fantastic. massive rafts of ducks too. It's, it's just incredible. It was an incredible experience. Man. Yeah. That's, that's lovely. Um, I know being in the moment during that kind of thing is definitely valuable, even more so than getting the, the correct number, you know, getting the correct number or getting the rare bird. Right. I would say, because I think when, when you're doing that, you get stressed and then you lose, (laughs) then you lose the, the, the magic, the forest for the trees is the, the metaphor I would say. You're looking for this one bird amongst this spectacle and you just ignore the fact that there's a spectacle because, and I was noticing myself doing that and then I I had to step back and be like, wait, you know, I'll see a glaucus goal one day. This doesn't matter. Really? I should really just appreciate the insanity of Mm. what's going on. Yeah. That's, that's something I think it's valuable to keep that mindset um, at the front of your mind when you're going into a, a day of birding. Um, Cause then it can end up being just a disappointment of a day. And I've yeah, noticed that happen with yeah. myself. Um, honestly on CBCs, like stuff like that, it can end up being disappointing at the end because yeah. you missed one common bird, even if you had an incredible yeah. day. Uh, I think um, recreational birding, that's not for like an organized count or something. Um, I feel like if you're able to appreciate all the common species, um, if you see a bunch of mockingbirds and cardinals, it's like, oh, heck yeah. I was like, <laughs> I got to see all these um, species that not, not everybody in the world gets to see, you know. Um, and that's definitely not easy to always yeah. do. And I think you... that something that's helped me with that is just sitting back and looking at those common species, trying to notice things I haven't before yeah. and like see their behavior. Cause you're always going to see something new, yeah. even if it's something you've seen 10,000 times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's an endless abundance of behavioral tactics and, um, you know, differences in plumage and all kinds of things that you can uh, learn you'll never walk away empty-handed if you spend time with the birds, you know? Yeah, I think that's something that's so beautiful about birding is that you yeah. can do that. Um, and I think, and that's some some of the beauty of birding that I think can easily get lost that we're all guilty of when we're, we are, you know, obsessively looking for that next <laughs> yeah. list, bird yeah. on the list. And it's, it's hard to strike that balance. Cause it's incredibly hard. It, it is so exhilarating to find something um, rare, but if you are only doing that, then um, it almost spoils the heart of it, you know. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's it's a really hard balance to strike, and I definitely have not struck <laughs> yeah. that balance. Um, yeah. I think few people have, but yeah. But we uh we hope everyone has stayed safe on the icy roads. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no matter where you are. I did have to try and help get a car unstuck and yeah. and fail up at Hiawassee. Yeah, I uh. I'm hoping my girlfriend doesn't listen um, to this part of the podcast. I don't know that she listens at all, but um, I, on my way back from the landfill, um, a yellow-headed blackbird was reported at the Duck River unit found by the Stoles, mm-hmm. and I went to go see it, and I 
was on a very icy road <laughs> um, in the woods that was hilly. Um, and I got to a portion that was downhill with a turn at the bottom um, and a bridge going over a creek, a very small bridge. And I just had a bad feeling about it, but I, I went anyways. And so I started going down and then I just didn't follow the road. I just started going um, towards the water <laughs> and oh, off off the bridge <laughs> and um you know obviously not very practiced with ice driving so i slammed on the brakes at first and it did, 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 just like completely locked up on me and so then i changed gears and um hit the gas and was able to save it but that uh that kind of experience will make you turn the radio all the way down and put both hands on the wheel <laughs> for the rest of the drive. So I did not pursue the yellow-headed blackbird after that moment. Annabelle is going to have your head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She uh, she did not want me to even go because of that, and then I pushed my luck a little bit. But uh, that's so far a secret from her. <laughs> Tim was definitely feeling a little a little stressed when we we did a whole we checked out the lake north of us, and I think I drove more on more ice than pavement. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And dude, it's, it, it's, it's a little scary whenever yeah. we're not used I was, to I was getting a little stressed, but I had, you know, the stupid 18 year old confidence. Uh, <laughs> and Tim, Tim was like feeling some stress, I know. Yeah. And, uh, but we made it, we made yeah. it. So, but the, the links we go to for the birds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we got some goals to see. Yeah. So yeah, we, uh, we might try and snag one or two before the light fades out completely on us. But yeah, um, we wish everyone a happy birding until our, our next, our, our next our episode. Next meeting, Hope, yeah. Hopefully we got someone to interview next time. So. Yeah. We, yeah. uh, we're going to try and line something up. Um, we, we still have some, some good people on the roster and, um, we're adding people consistently. So, um, uh, yeah, now we yeah. just need to start taking some people off so we <laughs> from interviewing them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, feel free, any of our listeners, to reach out to us with any yeah. questions, um, even just casual conversation. We would love to. Yeah, we'd uh, love to love to hear or, from people. Yeah, get and on like, the phone or anything. Um, yeah, and if if anyone has any any fun stories they'd like to share, yeah. you know. And if anyone wants to come out to. Chattanooga. Tennessee or in Chattanooga or the eastern portion of the yeah US, if you're if like, you're out out in our area we'd love to come bird with you I actually yeah. birded with one of our listeners for the for the first time his name is uh, John he's a guy from Colorado and he was out in Atlanta and he found our podcast when trying to figure out places in in uh, the Chattanooga area and he is the only person that has spotted towhee but no red shouldered hawk on his Tennessee state list I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we had, we had a great time. So, so yeah, we just want to encourage that for sure. Cause we, we love hearing from you all and, um, we, we want to make those connections. So yeah, for sure. Um, but until next time, folks, we'll see ya. Yep. See ya.